0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Empowered Living, Volume 3, with a message titled, The Mystery of Marriage, Part 1. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians, Chapter 5, 22 to 24, and verse 31, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: Kathy and I really have a marvelous story of falling in love. We were friends for years before we ever started dating. And I remember my friends telling me I should go out with Kathy. And I said, you know, I wouldn't do that because I knew that if I ever took her out, I'd marry her. I was too young to get married, so I never asked her out on a date. And so I moved on and so did she. But then came that one moment. I was having supper with some friends and and she was there. And I remember seeing her sitting there. I remember the clothes she wore and I remember how absolutely beautiful she was. My heart was pounding the whole time. I didn't say very much to her that day, but I went home that night and I thought, I think if she will have me, I'd marry her at a heartbeat. I came to the realization that I loved her. It was Valentine's Day 1977. I sent her 12 sweetheart roses, and Kathy will tell you that was the first time she knew how I really felt about her. I remember so many things about our courtship and engagement. I remember that one dress I loved to see her in. I remember seeing her infrequently because we lived some distance from each other. And I remember the letters she sent me and I remember some of the stationery she used and how I examined every word, in fact, even the handwriting itself. I remember my thought and emotion when I finally saw her in her wedding dress. Her beauty swept over my soul like a great wave. It it all seemed magical and mysterious and wonderful to me now. We've been married for a long time. My heart doesn't pound now every time I see her, but I still find her very beautiful. Emotions have changed, but the love, the true love that binds us together has deepened. She's become so much more than a lover. She's become my partner, my soulmate. You know, we kind of grew up together. At our wedding day, she was 21, I was 22, and We struggled together, and we dreamed together, and we fought and forgave together. We prayed together, and we played together, and we learned God's Word together. We had children together, and we're now growing old together. More than anything else, the two of us sense God's calling in our lives together, as a joint call, together. Love, married love, is a mystery that words can't possibly express. It's the kind of thing that must be experienced to be fully understood. See, not every love story is like ours. You know, I've been to India and met many people who have arranged marriages who have learned to love each other after the wedding day. But out of the millions of stories of marriages, is there something unique and profoundly different about Christian marriages? Well, I think there is. Indeed, the scripture makes it clear there is. Now, we've been studying Ephesians chapter 5, and in it, we've learned that there are a number of unique distinctives of the Christian lifestyle. And marriage, that one, when lived out in the way that Christ intends us to do it, it's simply different than anything else in our culture. I want to begin by reading our text today, and it's Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. It says, "...submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior." Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And let me add to that the words of verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, in verse 31, Paul quotes words from the book of Genesis, chapter 2. These are words that were spoken at creation. Genesis 2, 19-24. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now Christians need to remember that the foundations for marriage are in God's design for the basis of human civilization. Before God had instituted government or laws or rules of human behavior, he set down the foundations of love and marriage. So I want you to imagine the scene. Adam is naming all the animals. That is in itself fascinating because, I think, in identifying and categorizing what he sees, he's beginning a scientific enterprise. It's the searching of the human mind to know his world and to understand the nature of the creation. And in the process, he does find out that there's no suitable helper. He recognizes he has no mate. So please understand that God could have reproduced the species in any number of ways. I suppose he could have made it rain babies from heaven every spring. I mean, after all, he's God. Yet it was his design that the next generation should always be born out of love and intimacy between a man and a woman. So notice two things. First of all, the woman was taken out of the man And in that, we are to understand that both the man and the woman share the same flesh. That's the fundamental statement of the equality between men and women. She is bone of his bone. See, how tragic is the fact of mistrust and hatred between the sexes today? How tragic that in many countries of the world, women are treated as second-class citizens. They're abused and exploited without any protection of the law. But that's the result of sin. That's not God's intention. Adam said to her, this is bone of my bone. She shares in my nature and in my substance. I want you to also notice that the bond with her is deeper and more profound than the bond with mother and father. See, the passage says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. And marriage created a new loyalty. See, God wants there to be no earthly loyalty stronger than the bond between a husband and a wife. How sad when some people say that the only thing that holds them together are the kids. How sad when a woman complains of her husband to her parents or to her friends. See, I find it tragic that when a man gets together with his buddies and talks about his wife, he might talk in a disparaging fashion. I find it sad when husbands and wives have closer friends than their spouse or when a mom or a dad meddle and destroy a marriage. See, that's all wrong. God wants the bond of marriage to create something stronger than every other earthly loyalty. That in itself is mysterious. But there's a great mystery to marriage. Paul says that the man and the woman each, by virtue of their gender, play a unique role in their marriage. Indeed, the roles they play are intended to be a reflection of Christ in his church. And so today, I want to speak about the role of the wife in the marriage, and next, that is, the next time we look at this, we're going to look at the role of the husband. Wives are called upon uniquely to submit to their husbands. In our day, I know that's controversial, and for some, those are fighting words. So let me suggest several things. Now, First of all, submission is not a negative thing for believers. In fact, it's a virtue. For example, James 4, 7 tells us to submit ourselves to God. Romans 13 tells us to submit ourselves to governing authorities. Hebrews 13, 7 teaches us to submit to our leaders in the church. 1 Corinthians 6 teaches Christians never to take fellow believers to a court in a lawsuit, teaching us to submit even to those who might take advantage of us. You know, in fact, it was Jesus who commanded us to do good to those who hate us. And finally, Ephesians 5, 21 teaches all believers to submit to each other. We submit to each other. I mean, that's what Ephesians 5.21 taught us. Submission is a Christian way of life. Secondly, let's be clear what submission is not. The Bible does not teach us that women are inferior to men. Read the New Testament to see that Jesus gave women honor in a world that thought it strange. He talked to women in public. Rabbis of his day would never have done that. He taught women. Again, rabbis wouldn't have done that. Women were among his followers, and he treated them with dignity and respect. The Bible declares that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. Grace is the equalizer between all people, regardless of sex or race or social standing. But the Bible does teach that in marriage, men and women have a different role to play and that doesn't mean that one is superior or the other inferior. Let me take the analogy from a team game. When my son was a boy and a teenager, he played soccer and he was often the striker. You know, every once in a while he wanted to play defense. And then the coach would yell at him. You stay at the front of the field, he would say. Because he knew that when the play transitioned, he needed my son right up there at the front. The point is, that we all have to know within marriage that there is a unique role that God has given the husband and also the wife.
0: Momentum is picking up as friends from across the country sign up for the 2022 Israel Experience. Join us from April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 with Bible teacher, Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Against Phil Calloway, very special musical guests, and the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, David walked, visit the Jordan River, sail the Sea of Galilee, and join in communion together at the Garden Tomb. A traveler from our last Israel experience said, The trip was overwhelmingly wonderful. The trip of a lifetime. Well, the full Israel itinerary is now available online. And to ensure an intimate experience, numbers are limited. So register soon. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca.
1: soccer, the striker is not superior to the defender, just has a different role to play. That, folks, is the reality of marriage. It's God's game. So many marriages are in trouble because, simply put, they want to play a different game. Let me give some examples. I know of people who say, well, the goal of marriage is self-fulfillment. Now, that's a different game than the person who says, the goal of my marriage is to reproduce the relationship that Christ has with the church. In fact, I've seen all manner of people play a game whose roots do not go to the creation of the world. And I'm making an appeal here. My appeal is that Christians order their marriages according to the will of God. So, first of all, submission is not a negative thing. And second, submission is not a statement of inferiority or superiority, it's a statement of role, not of worth. And thirdly, Submission does not mean that the woman should subject herself to physical violence in the home. The term submit is not a term that presents us with the image of a doormat. It's not the image of someone who has no opinions and no mind of her own. It's not a picture of a person who's incapable of great achievement. In fact, God has called women, as he has called men, to do great exploits for your God. So what does it mean then to submit? Well, according to verse 23... For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. See, God wants wives to surrender to their husband's leadership. Listen, wives. God has called your husband to be your protector, your defender, the spiritual leader in your home. God has called your husband to provide direction for where your family is going. I know that this is misunderstood by some. There are those who argue that the word head means source and not leader. But Dr. Wayne Grudem, in his careful study of 2,336 instances in which the term head was used in the ancient Greek world, did not find one reference where head ever meant source. In fact, the term always carries with it the idea of authority and leadership. In fact, the passage says, wives, let your husbands lead. God wants wives to perform this voluntarily and freely and not under duress. See, there's a little bit of grammar in this passage that's not easily translated in english let me explain go to ephesians 6 1 children obey your parents that command there is in the active of voice that is it's demanded but in ephesians 5 wives submit to your husbands that command is in the middle voice and that makes a difference you see no husband can command his wife to submit i realize that might be disappointing news to some men but it's true No husband has the right to demand submission from his wife. You can demand it of your children, but you can't demand it of your wife. Submission, because it's in the middle voice, is something that his wife brings freely and voluntarily. She offers it to him as a gift of love. She can give it or she can withhold it, but he can't do much about that. See, this passage, however, urges her, commands her in the Lord to say, Honey, out of reverence for Christ and out of my love for you, As an act of my free will, I submit to your leadership in the home. Well, some wives are saying, well, this is really good news. I mean, what if I decide not to submit? Ah, but there's something you might miss. The reason for this command is that God has a role which he has assigned your husband. He is to provide leadership. And what does that mean? Well, let me explain by giving a description of three kinds of marriages. The first is a description of two people who are constantly fighting with each other. They never agree on much, and each decision in the home results in a test of wills. I once had a couple walk through the door of my office. They were fighting as they came in. They sat down. They began to throw salvos at each other, and I just watched. About 30 minutes in, the man turned to me and said, Pastor, you know, I've been here for a half an hour, and I don't feel any better than when I came in. And I said, well, sir, I mean, before you came in, I was feeling pretty good. Now, I don't feel that good either. See, that's a description of many marriages. Nobody gives in. Nobody leads and nobody follows. Everybody's just rooted in for a long battle. The second description is of two people who decide to tolerate each other and their differences. They say they're in love, but both of them do their own thing. They have learned to get along by not questioning each other. They're like two solitudes. They may be married, but but they've never experienced the truth of the statement that two will become one flesh. The third description is a description of two people who operate as a couple. They do things together. They have a common vision for their lives. Their dreams are about what God has called them to be and do. But listen to me. This is important. They don't always agree. You know, at times, someone will have to give and who will it be? Well, the Bible answer seems to be that this was decided in creation itself. That God created an order which he meant to be played out. Listen, wives. God wants your husband to be leaders. But God demands your husbands learn the leadership style from Jesus and not from the culture or the workplace and not from his parents either. See, sometimes when people talk about the leadership style of Jesus, you know, they use the term servant leadership. And that can be a very accurate description, or it can be an inaccurate description depending on how you understand the phrase. So please understand that Jesus led He didn't lead by being apologetic or by making excuses. I mean, he was clear-eyed as to where he was going, and he was calling people to follow him. Servant leadership does not mean weak and apologetic for setting direction. However, no one looking at the leadership of Jesus would ever see him as being abusive. He washes his disciples' feet. He speaks about bearing the cross, and he says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In short, Jesus' style of leadership is clear about direction and the call of people to follow, but his leadership cost him his life for the good of his followers. His leadership meant putting aside his own rights and leading for the benefit of those being led. We see, that's how Christian husbands are called upon to lead their wives. However, all Christian husbands are imperfect. They're going to fail. Look, I have, and a lot of times. But you, Christian wife, can help him. You can submit to him. Your submission will bring dignity to his life. Your submission will encourage him to take his call of servant leadership seriously. If you undermine him, he's going to not feel confident. You can offer him a gift. You can say, honey, I know the call of God on your life. And I'm going to help you be the leader in our home. I'm going to submit to you. And that will allow you to be the man of God that he wants you to be. Look again at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, learn to submit to your husbands from the way God's people respond to Jesus. So ask yourself this question. Who was ever demeaned by submitting to Christ? Study submission to Christ and become a woman who is known as a woman of submission. And before you offer your husband anything, offer him your godly character. Apart from Christ, you have nothing. And then as you learn to respond to Christ, learn also to respond to your husband. But someone is going to say, well, you know, that's all fine and well, but my husband has no desire to lead like Christ. I mean, he comes home, he grabs a beer, he switches on the TV, he belches, and he and he generally acts like of the Hutt and thinks leadership is about ordering me to get more beer and pizza. So first of all, let me say, I don't have all the answers to the difficult questions that people ask. See, I do know that prayer has transformed many a marriage. And I also know that God wants your marriage to both survive, but also to thrive. I do know that both husband and wife can change a marriage. Biblical submission can turn animosity into love. And look, women, I'm not saying that you should submit to abuse. You most certainly should not. However, submission does offer to your husband what he needs more than wild sex. Men need, more than anything else, respect. See, I know of some wives who have said, "You know, when my husband starts to love me as Christ loved the church, that's when I'm going to submit. I know of some husbands who say, You know, when my wife allows me to lead and submits to me, I'm going to start loving her as Christ loved the church. And so on both sides, they begin to root down and find blame in each other. You know, at that point in time, there are two routes to go. I mean, one route that is the one that leads to divorce, separation. Let's just end this thing. Love is broken, and they both just go their own way. But you can take another route. You can ask God, to show you how to play the role that he has created you to play. And you can believe that God can do more in your marriage than you can ask or imagine. Look, I know that many marriages are like a violin. They either sound horrible or they sound great. But I think that with faith and learning about God's call in our lives, we can transform that which was difficult into something
0: that was as God intended it to be. Thanks so much, John. John, if you don't mind, let me get a little bit personal. What do you and Kathy do that continues to grow your marriage?
1: Well, you know, Ben, uh, the thing about having been married as long as, well, I know that you have and and I have, is uh, that, you know, you go through these stages of your life, and in each stage, it's almost like you have to uh, rediscover what your marriage means. So, you know, we're in that stage in our lives uh, in which, you know, our kids are gone, we have uh, seven beautiful grandchildren, um, and uh, you know, and we're on our own. And so Kathy and I have come to recognize that there are certain things that we do together. We both still are working, uh, and we enjoy that. But when we get home, we go for a walk together, and we'll do everything from uh, talking about how our day was, how our relationship is going, and and also to to talk about um, we talk about theology and the Bible passages that we've been studying, all of that stuff.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week as we continue our series, Empowered Living, Volume 3, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This month, we're encouraging you to request Dr. John's series, The Time of Your Life, as our free gift to you. As you listen and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time we're given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. Studying the Bible makes a difference. One listener wrote, My prayer for Back to the Bible Canada, God willing and God permitting, is to concentrate all efforts to affirm believers and to speak to the young generation the times we are living in demand it. As always, we're so grateful for your gifts that enable trustworthy Bible teaching to be shared day after day in your community across Canada and around the world. You sustain this ministry. To request the time of your life or make a gift to support Bible teaching, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.